0: Letter Thirteen of Letters on England by Voltaire, edited by Henry Molley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cheyenne Arrowsmith. Letters on England by Voltaire. Letter Thirteen on Mr. Locke perhaps no man ever had a more judicious or more methodical genius or was a more acute logician than mr locke and yet he was not deeply skilled in the mathematics this great man could never subject himself to the tedious fatigue of calculations nor to the dry pursuit of mathematical truths which do not at first present any sensible objects to the mind and no one has given better proofs than he that it is possible for a man to have a geometrical head without the assistance of geometry before his time several great philosophers had declared in the most positive terms what the soul of man is but as these absolutely knew nothing about it they might very well be allowed to defer entirely in opinion from one another in Greece, the infant seat of arts and of eras, and where the grandeur as well as folly of the human mind went such prodigious lengths, the people used to reason about the soul in a very same manner as we do. The divine Anaxagoras, in whose honor an altar was erected for his having taught mankind that the sun was greater than Peloponnesus, that snow was black, and that the heavens were of stone affirmed that the soul was an aerial spirit but at the same time immortal diogenes not he who was a cynical philosopher after having coined base money declared that the soul was a portion of the substance of god an idea which we must confess was very sublime epicurus maintained that it was composed of parts in the same manner as the body aristotle who has been explained a thousand ways because he is unintelligible was of opinion according to some of his disciples that the understanding in all men is one and the same substance the divine plato master of the divine aristotle and the divine socrates master of the divine plato used to say that the soul was corporeal and eternal no doubt but the demon of socrates had instructed him in the nature of it some people indeed pretend that a man who boasted his being attended by a familiar genius must infallibly be either a knave or a madman but this kind of people are seldom satisfied with anything but reason with regard to the fathers of the church several in the primitive age believed that the soul was human and the angels and the god men naturally improve upon every system saint bernard as father marbion confesses taught that the soul after death does not see god in the celestial regions but converses with christ's human nature only however he was not believed this time on his bare word the adventure of the crusade having a little sunk the credit of his oracles afterwards a thousand schoolmen arose such as the irrevocable doctor the sutil doctor the angelic doctor the seraphic doctor and the cherubic doctor who were all sure that they had a very clear and distinct idea of the soul and yet wrote in such a manner that one would conclude they were resolved no one should understand a word in their writings our descartes born to discover the errors of antiquity and at the same time to substitute his own and hurried away by that systematic spirit which throws a cloud over the minds of the greatest man, thought he had demonstrated that the soul is the same thing as thought in the same manner as matter, in his opinion is the same as extension. He asserted that man thinks eternally and that the soul at its coming into the body is informed with the whole series of metaphysical notions, knowing God, infinite space. Possessing all abstract ideas, in a word, completely endued with the most sublime lights, which it unhappily forgets at its issuing from the womb. Father Malbranche, in his sublime illusions, not only admitted innate ideas, but did not doubt of our living wholly in God, and that God is, as it were, our soul such a multitude of reasoners having written the romance of the soul a sage at last arose who gave with an air of the greatest modesty the history of it mr locke has displayed the human soul in the same manner as an excellent anatomist explains the springs of the human body he everywhere takes the light of physics for his guide he sometimes presumes to speak affirmatively but then he presumes also to doubt. Instead of concluding at once what we know not, he examines gradually what we would know. He takes an infant at the instant of his birth, he traces, step by step, the progress of his understanding, examines what things he has in common with beasts, and what he possesses above them. Above all, he consults himself the being conscious that he himself thinks i shall leave says he to those who know more of this matter than myself the examining whether the soul exists before or after the organization of our bodies but i confess that it is my lot to be animated with one of those heavy souls which do not think always and i'm even so unhappy as not to conceive that it is more necessary the soul should think perpetually than that bodies should be for ever in motion with regard to myself i shall boast that i have the honour to be as stupid in this particular as mr locke no one shall ever make me believe that i think always and i am as little inclined as he could be to fancy that some weeks after i was conceived i was a very learned soul knowing at that time a thousand things which i forgot at my birth and possessing when in the womb though to no manner of purpose knowledge which i lost the instant i had occasion for it and which i have never since been able to recover perfectly mr locke after having destroyed innate ideas after having fully renounced the vanity of believing that we think always after having laid down from the most solid principles that ideas enter the mind through the senses having examined our simple and complex ideas having traced the human mind through its several operations having shown that all the languages in the world are imperfect and the great abuse that is made of words every moment he at last comes to consider the extent or rather the narrow limits of human knowledge it was in this chapter he presumed to advance but very modestly the following words we shall perhaps never be capable of knowing whether a being purely immaterial thinks or not this sage assertion was by more divines than one looked upon as a scandalous declaration that the soul is material and mortal some englishmen devout after their way sounded an alarm the superstitious are the same in society as cowards in an army they themselves are seized with a panic fear and communicate it to others it was loudly exclaimed that mr locke intended to destroy religion nevertheless religion had nothing to do in the affair it being a question purely philosophical altogether independent of faith and revelation mr locke's opponents needed but to examine calmly and impartially whether the declaring that matter can think implies a contradiction and whether god is able to communicate thought to matter but divines are too apt to begin their decorations with saying that god is offended when people differ from them in opinion in which they too much resemble the bad poets used to declare publicly that Boileau spake irreverently of louis the fourteenth because he ridiculed their stupid productions bishop stillingfleet got the repetition of a calm and unprejudiced divine because he did not expressly make use of injurious terms in his dispute with mr locke that divine entered the lists against him but was defeated for he argued as a schoolman and locke as a philosopher who was perfectly acquainted with the strong as well as the weak side of the human mind and who fought with weapons whose temper he knew if i might presume to give my opinion on so delicate a subject after mr locke i would say that men had long disputed on the nature and the immortality of the soul with regard to its immortality it is impossible to give a demonstration of it since its nature is still the subject of controversy which however must be thoroughly understood before a person can be able to determine whether it be immortal or not human reason is so little able merely by its own strength to demonstrate the immortality of the soul that it was absolutely necessary religion should review it to us it is of advantage to society in general that mankind should believe the soul to be immortal faith commands us to do this nothing more is required and a matter is cleared up at once but it is otherwise with respect to its nature it is of little importance to religion which only requires the soul to be virtuous whatever substance it may be made of it is a clock which is given us to regulate but the artist has not told us of what materials the spring of this clock is composed i am a body and i think that's all i know of the matter shall i ascribe to an unknown cause what i can so easily impute to the only second cause i am acquainted with here All the school philosophers interrupt me with their arguments and declare that there is only extension and solidity in bodies, and that there they can have nothing but motion and figure. Now, motion, figure, extension, and solidity cannot form a thought, and consequently the soul cannot be matter. All this, so often repeated, mighty series of reasoning, amounts to no more than this. I am absolutely ignorant what matter is. I guess, but imperfectly, some properties of it. Now I absolutely cannot tell whether these properties may be joined to thought. As I therefore know nothing, I maintain positively that matter cannot think. In this manner do the school's reason mr locke addressed these gentlemen in the candid sincere manner following at least confess yourself to be as ignorant as i neither your imaginations or mine are able to comprehend in what manner a body is susceptible of ideas and do you conceive better in what manner a substance of what kind soever is susceptible of them as you cannot comprehend either matter or spirit why would you presume to assert anything the superstitious man comes afterwards and declares that all those must be burnt for the good of their souls who so much as suspect that it is possible for the body to think without any foreign assistance but what would these people say should they themselves be proved irreligious and indeed what man can presume to assert without being guilty at the same time of the greatest impiety that it is impossible for the creator to form matter with thought and sensation consider only i beg you what a dilemma you bring yourself into you who confine in this manner the power of the creator beasts have the same organs the same sensations the same perceptions as we they have memory and combine certain ideas in case it was not in the power of god to animate matter and inform it with sensation the consequence would be either that beasts are mere machines or that they have a spiritual soul methinks it is clearly evident that beasts cannot be mere machines which i prove thus god has given to them the very same organs of sensation as to us if therefore they have no sensation god has created a useless thing now according to your own confession god does nothing in vain he therefore did not create so many organs of sensation merely for them to be uninformed with this faculty consequently beasts are not mere machines beasts according to your assertion cannot be animated with a spiritual soul you will therefore in spite of yourself be reduced to this only assertion namely that god has endued the organs of beasts who are mere matter with the faculties of sensation and perception which you call instinct in them but why may not god if he pleases communicate to our more delicate organs that faculty of feeling perceiving and thinking which we call human reason to whatever side you turn you are forced to acknowledge your own ignorance and the boundless power of the creator exclaim therefore no more again is the sage the the philosopher of mr locke which so far from interfering with religion would be of use to demonstrate the truth of it in case religion wanted any such support for what philosophy can be of a more religious nature than that which affirming nothing but what it conceives clearly and conscious of its own weakness declares that we must always have recourse to god in our examining of the first principles besides we must not be apprehensive that any philosophical opinion will ever prejudice the religion of a country though our demonstrations clash directly with our mysteries that is nothing to the purpose for the latter are not less revered upon that account by our christian philosophers who know very well that the objects of reason and those of faith are of very different nature philosophers will never form a religious sect the reason of which is their writings are not calculated for the vulgar and they themselves are free from enthusiasm if we divide mankind into twenty parts it will be found that nineteen of these consist of persons employed in manual labour who will never know that such a man as mr locke existed in the remaining twentieth part how few are readers and among such as are so twenty amuse themselves with romances to one who studies philosophy the thinking part of mankind is confined to a very small number and these will never disturb the peace and tranquillity of the world neither montaigne locke bell spinoza hobbes the lord shaftesbury collins nor toland lighted up the firebrand of discord in their countries this has generally been the work of divines who being at first puffed up with the ambition of becoming chiefs of a sect, soon grew very desirous of being at the head of a party. But what do I say? All the works of the modern philosophers put together will never make so much noise as even the dispute which arose among the Franciscans, merely about the fashion of their sleeves and of their cows. End of letter thirteen Recording by Shia Aerosmith.